0: Cubans play golf all you do is dominoes what? but anyhow this old this old geezer just like me uh, he's having trouble on the golf course because every time he drives he can't see the ball goes so far and he loses sight he can't see where it goes his eyes are not good anymore and so he's complaining to his friend, and he says, I think I'm going to have to give up golf. I just I feel terrible, but I just can't see where the ball goes anymore. I can't find it. And his friend said, Well wait a minute, don't, hey, don't get too hasty here. I have a friend, he's your age, and he has excellent eyesight. He has no problem whatsoever. He loves golf, and he'd love to play golf with you, and I'll contact him. And so sure enough, he calls his friend and the two guys, they, you know, set up a tea time and they get to the golf course together and, and they just hit it off. They're personalities and they can't wait to get going. And so the old guy can't see real well. He tees off first. And man, off it goes. He he hits one of maybe 250 yards and it goes over a rise and he, he he rolls and he can't see it. He said, did you see it? Did you see it? I, I I'm watching. I see it right now. Don't worry about a thing. And so... He drives his ball, and they both get in the cart, and off they go. They start driving, and they come to the rise and go down, and the guy's waiting, you know, he's waiting for the guy to tell him where the ball is. And so the guy drives over this side of the fairway, and he drives over by the sand trap, and then he drives over by the trees, and he's weaving around, and he says, I thought you said you saw where the ball went. Where is it? He says, I can't remember. So they both had to give up. (laughs) I'm about there. I mean, so we'll open in prayer so the Holy Spirit will have control here. Let's pray. Father, again, it's so important that the Spirit of God speaks and you override Any little rabbit trail I may drift into, keep me faithful to your word, Father, and sensitive to your moving, Holy Spirit, to speak only the things that you desire. And I pray, dear Lord, as we break this bread, this marvelous word of God that has so much life that you touch every heart here, it's your desire to encourage and strengthen and assure of your love and your salvation to everyone who comes to listen. And so we ask you to do that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we're going to be looking at prophecy and the end as the Bible speaks of. And I'd like to give you just a few facts. I mean, you may have uh, seen these, but I wrote them down, and it's very interesting but it says about the second coming of Jesus Christ in the Bible, or the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, or the rapture of the church. And some people say, well, the rapture's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. It's a Latin word, rapturus, and it's in every Italian Bible, the word rapture. So, uh, just to give you an idea, one out of every 30 verses in the entire Bible refer to the first and second coming of Christ. One out of every 30 verses. That's 30%. For every mention of the first advent of Christ, there are eight times as many for the second coming of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, it speaks of you must be born again. Powerful term, and you've probably heard that. That's one of the things that Jesus said to Nicodemus. That that term is used seven times in the Bible. Repentance and faith, 20 times. Water baptism and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 70 times. The second coming of Jesus Christ, 329 references in the Bible. And one out of every 10 verses in the New Testament make reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. All four Gospels speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The entire book of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. All of the book of Revelation. 2nd Peter, Jude, Jude. In other words, 23 of the 27 New Testament books speak of the second coming of Jesus Christ and all nine authors of the New Testament make mention of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So I think God wants us to be aware that Jesus is coming again. And that's why he's referred to as the blessed hope. Uh, I'm just going to read quickly two verses. You don't have to uh, turn to the first one. This is in... Hebrews. Maybe I'll turn the pages slow enough if you want to look, or make a note, or remember. You probably you know these because you're well taught in this church. Uh, Hebrews chapter nine, in verse twenty-seven, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. And verse twenty-eight says, "So Christ." Was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time, without sin unto salvation. Now, does that mean that if I'm not just under a tree meditating with my Bible, looking up, <laughs> I'm going to be left? No. We, those that are in our hearts we are looking for the coming of Christ. I'm not looking for a human being to solve the world's problems because it's impossible. Man can't do it. We're the most educated generation of human beings that ever lived. And and look at the state of things. Look at the state of our own nation because of our universities that educate our senators and our congressmen and our presidents and our mayors and our governors that are running the cities. We are producing our own leadership. Man can't solve the problems. So I'm looking for Jesus Christ to come. And he said the things that are going to be taking place are going to precede his sudden coming for all of us, the church, those that are looking for him. I'm looking for his return and his kingdom. I'm praying for his kingdom to come. Turn to, if you would please, to Matthew 24. Jesus speaks something about his second coming in Matthew 24. And then we'll, we'll just turn over to Luke after this, but there's a few verses in Matthew 24 I'd like to read to you. When Jesus came, you know, they weren't looking for him. His first advent just caught everybody off guard, and because the priesthood and the leaders of you know, Israel at the time were not really preparing the people. No one really recognized who he was. And then the leaders who should have known him rejected him. And so his problem: see, people were not watching and looking for the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures concerning the coming of Christ. And the Old Testament's filled with prophecy of the coming of Christ, his first advent. You remember in John chapter 5, verse 39, he's contending with the crowds and the Pharisees on the temple mount. And they were asking such silly questions about marriage, about paying taxes to Caesar, you know, things like that. And Jesus said to them, and it's interesting what he said, you do always error. He was very gracious with them, and he knew they were hypocritical in some of their questions. They weren't sincere. But he said, You do always err for you know not the scriptures. Remember, he didn't say that you didn't go to church enough or keep the holy days or fast or keep the ritual and tradition of your families and your religious convictions of the nation you grew up in. He said, Your problem is it's not that you don't attend church, you don't know the scriptures. And so you don't understand who I am and that I have come. And what did he say? Search the scriptures. He didn't say start going to church more. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life and they are such as you think. And they all speak of me. They had the Bible. They had the Bible that you're holding with the exception of the New Testament. And this is what's so interesting. Search the scriptures for they what? They speak of me. It's all a revelation to me. And when he said that, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. This was years before the New Testament was written. He's making reference. The whole Old Testament speaks of the coming, the first coming of Christ. But they weren't reading scriptures. They had no idea what the signs might be to show that time when he'd come. And so look what he has to tell them. And he's doing it because he loves them. Remember, he came to bring salvation, not to condemn. To free people from the bonds of sin. You know, Satan takes, brings, brings us into bondage with our sin. He starts with Pleasure. And, and the Bible's very clear. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Satan will never tempt somebody, you know, with someone who's got rotten teeth from so many drugs, and they're 20 years older than they really are, and their hair's falling out, they got sores all over their arms that, you know, say, Hey, let me, let me do this. You're going to feel so good. No, he brings somebody very handsome, very beautiful, very young, very healthy, and said, this is going to make you feel so good, man. you got to try it. And before you know it, within three or four years, they're looking pretty bad. You wouldn't think they were only 19 years old, or 30 years old, or 50 years old. It is pleasurable in the beginning when he lures you in, and then you're trapped. You're bound by it. Christ came to free us from that, you see. And he wants people to know that and be ready for when he comes so they can meet him in the air. And Jesus has the way of teaching the second coming because there's two events. There's the rapture of the church when he comes to begin the day of the Lord. And then seven years later when he returns to the earth to establish his kingdom. And you can see both truths and teachings that Jesus does. He twists the lens. You can separate the rapture from the physical return at the end of the tribulation period. Very easy. And so, Jesus here in chapter 40, or chapter 24, let's see, I think it's 24, verse 42, he says, Watch. The people who were wondering who he was, questioning what he was speaking about, or the truth of the scriptures, he's saying, Watch. There's something more important than the stock market, and the weather report, and ESPN, and the daily cooking shows. That's all fine. But see, that's all they were aware of. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. He, very, Jesus is very clear in teaching. You can see the signs and the seasons to show how close it is. But he doesn't show the day or the hour because he knows the heart of man. If I knew the very moment that he's coming... And that I could cry out and say, Lord, forgive me, if I'm in my sin and enjoying it, I'd continue in it and make sure, aha, tomorrow's the day. I'm going to get right with Jesus. I'm going to break off this adultery. And this pornography. I'm getting rid of this stuff. So he knows that. He knows the the flesh of the human being. He just says, it's going to be so instant, and it's going to be when you're not thinking of it so what's the temptation comes, you see, to get us not to think about it. But the way the devil has doctored up the sin. Yeah, you know, this is going to do more for you than Jesus. No, it isn't. You never have to worry about a, a, a blood test when you get high and you have a wonderful experience of ecstasy with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to go sneaking around the streets to find somebody to, to buy it and ingest it for your ecstasy or to feel good. I mean, you, I don't know about you. When we were worshiping tonight, immediately the presence of the Holy Spirit and his love for us, his peace. Jesus said, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. I don't know who you may be. You may have something planned after tonight's Bible study. You better not be there. You better not keep that appointment or that date that you think you're going to have power or control over. You better make that decision before this this night's over. But know this that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. It would not have suffered his house to be broken up. That's a, a very personal thing when you you, you get to your home, when you find that, you know, someone has broken in and, and robbed you, or maybe through the night, and maybe because of maybe what you did before you went to bed, You weren't sober enough, you weren't alert enough, your things weren't working enough, and you didn't hear what was going on downstairs, and you get down there, and man, (laughs) everything's ripped out of the living room practically. You You didn't watch, you didn't hear, you weren't ready. Careful. Therefore, Jesus says, Be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. It's going to be instant. And and please know this about our, our loving Father in heaven and this omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God Almighty who's going to come in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. It's like a flash of lightning. So sudden. Simply because somebody sitting there saying, I don't believe this, isn't going to stop him from doing it. He, he's, he, he's not going to say, well, I guess I can't do it. They don't believe I'm going to do it. They didn't believe there was going to be a, a worldwide deluge to kill off the inhabitants of the earth because of a judgment. Didn't believe it was coming. And God tried to warn them for 120 years in his love and his grace and his mercy that judgment was coming. And they, they thought the person who was sharing it was nothing but a fool, a crazy old fool. Well, because they didn't believe it, and remember, that's, you're, you, the multitudes of people think you're foolish. You're sharing about Christ coming again. You know, hardly anybody I know, none of the politicians are talking about it. You don't hear about it anywhere. You're, you're such a minority. What do you mean? The majority of people don't think like you. There's a, there's a minority, you see, that respond. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few enter into that, that gate into heaven. Broad is the path of destruction, and many go thereby. And as Jesus is comforting the church to encourage it because it's being persecuted by the Roman Empire, he's saying, have faith. Fear not, little flock. He's not going to let anything happen to you. Not only will he seal you with the the person of the Holy Spirit, that seal, he comes and dwells within you to keep you, that nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Nothing. Nothing. And the word, it's in the Greek, it's, you see, it means any created thing. That's not just human being. No created thing can pluck you out of the hand of Jesus when you put your faith in him. But he says, watch, be ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. And then Dr. Luke, who is a doctor, he gives more facts concerning the second coming. Because he is a doctor, he gives more detail. So turn to Luke, chapter 17. Thank God he didn't write Luke. I would, you know, Have you ever tried to read a doctor's prescription? I'm glad, I'm glad the Holy Spirit wrote this. Luke said it, but the Holy Spirit got it to us in English and Spanish. Luke, chapter 17. Now the Pharisees at this point, Jesus is entering into the last phase of his ministry here on the earth before they reject him, he's crucified, you know, put in the grave, conquers death, rises and returns to the Father. And it's the Pharisees. Now remember, the Pharisees were the priests and the religious leaders who had the Old Testament that you have and I have. But Remember, they replaced it with books that said this is what the Old Testament means by this famous rabbi and this famous rabbi. And pretty soon they were placed with tradition and ritual. They weren't using the Bible anymore. And so that's why they were constantly struggling. You know, if they'd have read the scriptures like they should have known, you see, they'd have known that the Messiah is the Son of God. He's divine. He's God Almighty. It's God becoming a human and walking the earth. Not just using his voice, putting flesh and bone and blood on his voice. And walking so people could actually see who God is. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And some people have asked me, well, what do you think the Holy Spirit's going to look like? And God the Father is going to look like? You're not going to have to see them with a body. You're going to see Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When he said, I'm going to send you the Spirit, the Comforter, I will come to you. We're only going to probably see Jesus. That we're going to have the fullness of his presence and the spirit of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so the Pharisees, in verse 20 of Luke 17, they approached Jesus again. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, Now remember, while they're asking these questions, remember secretly, they're plotting already how to kill them. How to kill them. The ones who are telling people that they believed in them. And so they came to him and said uh, unto Jesus, when the kingdom of God should come, and he answered them and he said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. What is Jesus telling them? You see, the kingdom of God, actually the kingdom of God is being represented here because it's a quiet, silent thing that takes place inside when a person is born again and given a new heart. And the spirit of God comes in and seals that person. And they may not look any differently on the outside, but because they become a citizen of heaven and are in the kingdom, it's taking place in their heart as he's preparing and, and preparing people for the kingdom that he will establish on the earth. That will be observable. You see the change isn't on the outside. It's beginning on the inside. It's not observable. It's something that takes place on the inside. And see that's the Pharisees are looking at people and saying oh, we know who you are. And you may have relatives right now. You're born again, but they're looking at who they, you know, birthed, we raised you, we know who you are. But they can't understand, you're not the same inside. You look the same. They're trying to observe something outwardly. But what's happening is on the inside. That's the most important thing. What's happening to us on the inside? Are we really citizens? of a holy God, a pure God, a clean God, a loving God, a forgiving God. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. It's on the inside. It starts on the inside. And everyone that has it started and it's on the inside when he returns at the second coming at the end of the tribulation period then he's going to establish that new Jerusalem. And he'll reign for a thousand years on this earth in righteousness and holiness and fidelity and truth and love. And he said unto the disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you shall not see it. See, he knows shortly he's going to be betrayed by the priests. He knows what Judas is going to do. And he came, see, for this end was I born. He came to die for all of us take all of our sin upon himself as the perfect sacrifice. As the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types of animal sacrifice was just a type, a picture of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ when he came. That's the blood that needed to be shed. The blood of the Old Testament sacrifices just covered over, never forgave. When Christ came, those who by faith truly took an offering and a sacrifice with a heart behind it knowing I've sinned and this is what Moses said, they truly did it by faith. And then when Christ came that blood changed they got new hearts he's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world God never once raised an old animal sacrifice that was put to death on an altar from the dead it wasn't sufficient enough it was a figure a type pointing to what was going to come the perfect Lamb of God and his first cousin John saw him coming remember back from his wilderness temptation he said behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world not the sins of the world the sin you see because we don't know what God considers sin we might be under the the delusion of a culture that said sin isn't sin it's you're of what you're right as a human being you can do whatever you want to do the government says so. In fact you can do things that God hates and the government will pay with your taxes and pay for it. So we don't know what see what God considers sin. Your professor you, I don't know where you go or what your education may be or your politician, your senator, your congressman may say that's not sin. You're hateful. God says it's sin. We have no clue what He considers sin. You see, we don't realize the fall, how depraved we are. We learn to function in the level of our depravity, and all we can do is think, well, but because there's people more depraved than us, well, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not that depraved. I've got a high school education, I've been to college, I've got a master's degree. <laughs> I can't stop drinking. I can't stop smoking. I gotta take pills, but I'm not depraved. I can't keep sneaking around on the computer. Hope my wife doesn't find out. I'm not depraved, though. We are. We're so far from the image of Adam and Eve. Do you realize that every human being passes on sixty-six genetic Flaws to the children, the very next child born. Do you realize that? Each generation passes 66 new generational flaws to the next people because of the fall. We are so far from the image of Adam and Eve. So God loves us so much, rather than to destroy us all, he says, I'm going to take the blame. I'll become man, I'll walk this earth, and I'll die for everyone because I don't want to crucify everybody. I don't want to send everyone. Hell, hell was designed for the devil and his angels, not for the people that I created. So he's departing. He's going to be gone. And then he makes mention of the false prophets, what to beware of. Matthew speaks of the false prophets. There's many. Peter speaks of the false teachers and prophets that will be in the last days. In verse 22, they shall say, 23, they shall say to you, See here or see there. Go not after them nor follow them. For as lightning that lighteneth out of one part under heaven, shineth unto the other part under heaven, so other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. It's going to be instantaneous. You know, coming back from Bonita Springs, when it rains down here, it rains. I, I thought we went off the road and were in the Gulf of Mexico I mean, they're just... <laughs> it rains. It, <laughs> but every once in a while, you see lightning. It, it, it happens pretty fast, doesn't it? It's that, that energy burns through the oxygen and creates the vacuum, and the air rushes back, and boom, you hear the thunder because all the oxygen's burned up instantly. It's so quick. See, that's what the second coming is going to be. And that's exactly, if you twist the lens, you've got the rapture and the second coming in this teaching. In verse 25, he says, but first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. In other words, the generation he was speaking to at that moment. He knew he was going to be rejected. He must, must needs be. For the redemption of man. For you, for me. For everybody in this room. Christ gave his life. I doubt if a drug dealer would give his life for someone he strung out. I I, I doubt very much if very many, many human beings would give their life for someone who's just living in such an evil way or has just messed up and destroyed it. But see, God did. God loved you so much. He gave his life for you, to give you a new life. I must suffer. And then he describes what would be, this is probably, this is, these are two greater signs than the Mideast right now. And earthquakes and famines and pestilences and wars and rumors of wars and ethnic hatred. Those are the things, you know, those are the famous end times things that Jesus speaks of. But that's the beginning of birth pangs. Ethnic hatred. Earthquakes in diverse places. Famine. And then pestilence. That, the word pestilence from the Hebrew is murrain. It means an animal disease that leaps over and starts killing human beings. That's one of the things that precedes the second coming. Mass pestilence around the world. Earthquakes. War. And he gives the two prominent signs. And it's interesting, uh, as he gives them, that's the only two times in the history of the creation of the world where God divinely judged the earth from heaven. Now, he's judged nations with other nations. He's, he's actually he's chastened nations you know, with terrorism to get their attention, with you know, local war, but only twice in the history of the creation is God judged from heaven. And it's very clear what they were like. And Jesus describes them and says to the world, and those that are listening, when you see the world like this again, know my, I am at the door. It's, it's going to happen like lightning. So you watch. So the first thing he says in verse 26 is, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat. They drank. They had society. They had universities. They had good schools. They say they were just Depraved. They, they didn't realize what, what had happened to them as human beings. They, they, they had their moral laws and their governments and they set up their systems, their social systems. They ate, they drank, they were married, they had wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Moral, educated, loving people. They loved each other. As the Bible said, sinners love one another. But they didn't think they were sinners because of the way they were educated and the laws they were living under. They formed their own morality without biblical direction. And notice the judgment from on high did not come until Noah was into the ark. It wasn't after he was there for about six months or two years as the flood was rising and rising. No, God didn't send the judgment till he was absolutely safe. It couldn't start till he was in the ark safe. So the question is, well, what were the days of Noah like that God had to destroy the human race? That Jesus said, when you see this again, it's coming. You're you're there. You're not going to know the day or the hour, but you better be watching. And you don't want to go to other books and magazines and, God forbid, Hollywood. You go to the book, Genesis chapter 6. I want to just show you a little bit of what the days of Noah were like. So turn to Genesis chapter 6. What happened as people left God, they were lured into trafficking in the spirit realm. And before you know it, they knew more about spirits that demons were behind than the living God. And as they became more and more interested in demonology, or what they called as gods, Or angels. But they didn't realize they were wicked angels. They were demons. And look at what took place in verse 5. As they progressed and delved more into the spirit realm, rather than learning about the true and the living God, they were more concerned about evil spirits and ghosts and phantoms. And look at verse 5. As they descended into this, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth... And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The human race couldn't think clean anymore. The, the, can you imagine, uh, who, God only knows, the, the mind that, that must have made the movies in those days or put the lyrics to the music in those days? How filthy. How unclean. The perversion, because they couldn't think pure or clean. They, their imaginations were only evil, continued. They dreamed filthily. They, they thought filthy. They liked to watch filth. They like to read filth. They liked to hear filth in their music. That's the human race in the days of Noah as they began to traffic in the spirit realm. And then verse 10. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And then look at verse 11. The earth was corrupt. And the earth was filled with violence. The more they descended into this evil and this uncleanness, and it, it, it be, everything became violent. Their entertainment was violent and bloody. Their sports were violent. Their streets were violent. Everything was violence. And and their entertainment was that way. It spread all over the earth. That was the days of Noah. In verse 28 of Luke, likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. You remember, when Lot looked into Sodom, these were well-educated, wealthy people. And they had, they had landscaping that said it looked like the Garden of Eden. They had so much wealth. But you see, they were perverted They they were obsessed. What had happened to the Sodomites, they were obsessed with sex. That, That was accepted. They were perverted. They were so perverted that they taught the young children that when the two angels came to deliver Lot from the judgment was coming, remember the children of the town and all the men beat on Lot's door, they wanted to rape and sodomize the angels because they thought they were men visiting town. And God in his marvelous grace, rather than smite them dead, the sodomites, they're probably binary, transsexual, who knows what they called themselves, But they're beating on the door, and the angels pulled Lot in to protect him because they were going to rape Lot. If they couldn't get the angels, they're going to rape Lot. And he was sitting in the city council. He got involved in the politics, and, and he didn't know how bad things were or how close it was. And here's the grace of God. The angels grabbed him because he's a justified man, pulled him in the house with his two daughters, and then what did he do? They smote the sodomites, and in their homosexual rage, in their blindness, rather than thinking, "What is it? maybe I better think this lifestyle over. What's happened to me? In their blind sexual lust, they're beating on the sides of the house and beating on the door, still trying to get in to rape the angels. That was Sodom. That's the days of Lot. That's when the angels came for Lot. The children were into it, it was accepted in society, and they were all <laughs> perverted sexually. In fact, they were so sexually perverted and obsessed with it all, there was very little marriage. They were just living together. There were so many changing of partners. There was no commitment anymore. Everything was just for a while, for some sex, pleasure, dump this person, go to that person. No, if you notice, the Holy Spirit doesn't mention marriage in a days a lot. Most people are just living together in sexual relationships and perverted relationships. Jesus said, When you see that, those are the two signs, the days of Noah and Lot. It's over. But you don't know the day or the hour, so you watch. You better watch out. And saying, I don't believe it, isn't going to change it from happening. What person here tonight could say, I don't believe that I'm seeing the days of Noah in Lot, in Miami, or Hollywood, or on television, or in my high school, or my university, or in our government? You can't believe part of the Bible and say, well, I I don't believe this. You see, Jesus is speaking the truth because he loves everybody. He wants everybody to realize. Do you realize where you're at, where we're at as a human race? We're on the verge of the coming of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And notice again the promise. Because Lot wasn't sure when it was going to happen because he got involved in politics and he was more involved in politics and looking for the coming of the Lord. The Lord didn't leave him in Sodom for a while to go halfway through the judgment. Here's Grace. He was a justified saved man but he blew his witness to his wife and his kids. When he tried to warn his wife and kids what was going to happen, they laughed at him. Because he wasn't living it at home. But here's the grace of God. Verse 29. The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and, and destroyed them all. He, he, you see, the rapture has to take place before it comes. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him not likewise return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever will seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Have you lost your life in Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? totally you're going to gain life eternal life I tell you in that night when this lightning when that flash comes and the rapture takes place it's the same as the second coming it's going to be instantaneous and I tell you in that night there shall be two in the bed now men is in italics because they put that in there to clarify a statement but in the original it's just two well, they, are, they should do it now. Two men in one bed. One shall be taken, the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. Maybe working together in the kitchen, making bread for a weekend getaway with the family. Making, you know, whatever flatbread for tacos. They're pretty good down here too, I'll tell you. Two women shall be grinding grain together; one shall be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, or maybe working side by side in an assembly line, or you know, the big car dealer. They're both salesmen selling cars; one will be taken, the other left. And they answered and they said unto him, Where, Lord? Where's that going to be? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered. In other words, there's going to be so much death worldwide, everywhere, that the vultures will be eating on the bodies. But those that are taken will be with Christ. Where I am, you will be also. Remember, in John fourteen three, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many, many mansions or living places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And I think I shared this Sunday. That Greek word for receive is an intimate term of love. When someone brings in the person they love and embrace and hold them to their heart. And it also means not to reject I receive you, I don't reject you. And the only other place that word receive is translated and used in the Greek in the New Testament is right here where Jesus says, one is taken. It's the same Greek word, you will not be rejected. You will be pulled in. It's the rapture of the church. That's the only other place in the New Testament where that word is used in the Greek. It's translated taken, In John 14, 3, it's, I will receive you unto myself. And so that's the question tonight. As you look at television in Miami, you listen to music, you see what's, if you're not careful, comes over your phone that your parents may not even know about. What do you do? As you hear the news, as you hear some school teacher who's a sodomite, or a professor who's a Marxist, trying to destroy our nation and undermine it, our freedoms and our Christianity, what do you do? Do you know Christ? Is he your Savior, your Redeemer? Remember, you put your faith in him, you're sealed until the day of redemption by the Spirit of God Himself. He's coming soon. I know many of you here, I'm gonna see you, I'm gonna I'll wave to you in the air. Would to God we'd all see each other at that moment. If it took place right now, I pray there'd be no one left here. Whether you want to believe this or not, if you haven't made a decision for Christ, it's very important you don't fool around much longer. Don't enjoy the sin much longer. You may not be able to stop it. And it may be too late. You can go to bed tonight and not fear. Two people sleeping, one will be taken and one will be left. You can be sleeping and both of you taken. Wouldn't that be something? Something. Lord, to God. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you that you've given us such promises, thousands of promises of your faithfulness, that we will not be rejected. And Lord, we are watching for you. We thank you for the things that are happening. We hate the pain. We hate the sin. But we thank you, Lord, you've shown us what to look for and to be ready and watching, that that day does not take us as a thief.